I'm loud. <laughs> Sorry about that. How you guys doing? Welcome to Port. Got it. We got it. We got it. I'm going to start over. Hey, welcome to Portico Church. We do that on purpose because it's, um, you know, time change Sunday, and we need to snap you out of it right now, okay? So sorry, it's what we're doing. Hey, welcome. Um, my name's Jason. It's my privilege to open up the Word of God with you today. That's where we're going. We're in Nehemiah. We have got some text to cover today, and I'll tell you why, and I'm going to set you up so you know what to look for. Um, but we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9, so if you have your Bible, grab it. If you're joining us from at home, we're so glad that you're here. We're going to go from verses 1 through 38. It's a lot, but there's a story that you're going to hear. And maybe aside from in Acts when Stephen was stoned and, and he kind of gives this beautiful redemptive story of Israel, this is the same thing. So what you're going to be drawn into is a story. And it's, it's important because you see yourself and you understand your life through narrative and through story, right? We all want that. Uh, I just got a chance to see somebody that I've known for 30 years. And when I met this dude, um, we had two things in common. One was that our wives were best friends since this high. Uh, and, you know, so that's pretty much enough for us. But also aviation. He was a helicopter pilot in the Army. I was going civilian route. And so we just kind of hit it off. And I saw him last week. And we realized as we're chatting, we have n the story that we thought our lives was, with the direction it was going to, is completely done. I mean, he's a farmer and has so many kids, I literally lost count. And he's a football coach, doesn't fly anymore. Um, and when I met him, he wanted nothing to do with God. That's really not the case anymore. And well, I'm this, right? So the, the stories of our lives. <laughs> They change drastically. And I'm like, is that a good thing? Like, what, what do you do with that? Because you make decisions not based on facts or data. Nobody does that. You make decisions in your life, for your life, based on how you understand your story. Where is your life going? What is your life about? And every one of us wants to have our life attached to a story that's greater than ourselves. We want to matter to someone, matter to something, or do something in life that has an ultimate outcome. Now, Scripture is going to call that worship. We were created for that. But everybody has to fill that gap. Everybody has to find a story to belong to. And as I was thinking about this text, I think that's one of the reasons why um, video games are so popular, right? It's $100 billion industry worldwide because you get to enter into a story that's immersive and epic and greater than yourself, and you get to control the story. Um, and it's, it's, we're built for that, friends. But there's a better story. We need to understand that today. So what you're going to hear is Israel. This is the third time they've been before uh, the Word of God. You heard twice last week, and they're coming before the Word of God to worship. And it's both heavy and solemn, but also joyful. Uh, and there's three movements to this prayer, and what they're going to do, they're going to recount their entire story. And you know, it's not a good one. There's grace in it, but it's not a great story. Does anybody relate to that? It doesn't, in other words, they didn't plan on being exiled and then, you know, exodus to exile and then back into Jerusalem. The place has kind of fallen apart and 
Faithfulness is when, that wasn't part of their story. That's not where they wanted to be, but this is where they're at. So in this worship service, they're going to recount this story through a prayer. And I want us to see and feel what that means to them and also what that means to you, what that means to your story. So a few things I want you to watch for. I'll just break it up in three movements for clarity. The first movement is really about God's graciousness. He is a gracious giver. That's how their story starts. Uh, and watch for the word you. Really, it's about God. It's God's story. That's the issue right there. And it, they just recount, you, God, did this. You, God, did this. You, 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 you. So the whole thing is counting God's works. Then in the second movement, it moves into the works of Israel, what, how they responded to, to God's works. So, and, and what you're going to see there is they stubbornly reject the work of God. So God's a gracious giver. They stubbornly reject that. And there's a reason. And the third movement is really about God disrupting that, disrupting the rebellion, and he actually faithfully redeems them because that, his faithfulness to Israel is not based on their faithfulness to him. It's not mitigated or conditioned by that, and that's a good thing. So that's what to look for. Uh, and, and as we're doing that, as we're walking through the text, I would ask yourself to ask yourself this question. Is that even proper to say? What's your life about? Is your story where you thought it would be even a year ago? Right? Coming up to a year in COVID. If you, it, where's it at? Are you like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because when we lose our sense of story, here's how you feel. You feel an intense sense of lostness and disorientation. And this is where Israel is. So if you feel that, if you've ever felt that, and everybody has, um, you, you might be trying to build a story that doesn't belong to you. So let's jump in. Chapter 9 of Nehemiah. I'm going to read all the way through verse 15 to get us started, and I'm going to have to pray because there's a lot of names in here. So would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before your word. Um, it is living, it is powerful, it is active. It has business to do with us today. We firmly believe that. It is going to dissect us that you might put us back together, Lord, as your people. It's powerful. And we, even in this, which almost feels obscure to us, but we understand it because we're all trying to live out a story. So our prayer is we humbly submit ourselves to your word. Would you empower it with your spirit that we might behold its beauty? And we lift this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here we go. Ready for this? So, Verse one, and this is a covenant renewal. They're renewing their faithfulness to God. Think of this as a, think of this as basically renewing the vows of their wedding. And, you know, by God's grace, they're sitting there and they're, and they're doing that. This is really what it feels like. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. So that ashes, sackcloth, somber. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites, because they had built a wooden platform, 
the Levites stood. And the Levites were the tribe of, the tribe of Levites, where the priesthood came from. And their job was to, to really bring the people of God into worship. And on the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherabiah, Bani, and Shenani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherabiah, and Hadiah, Shebaniah, and Pethaniah said, Stand up. Blessed be the Lord your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Here's where the prayer starts. So that was a call to worship. Okay, here we go. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name of Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made him made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. So this is gonna go from Exodus all the way to exile. You heard the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry of the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters by a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses at your servants. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land and you had sworn to give them. I need a break. <laughs> hey, they did this for like half a day. So just, we're not gonna go that long, but it might get close. What do we learn about the story of Israel right there? How did they start their story? Forget about whether they were living that way or not for a minute. How did they, how did they pray their story? The mighty works of God. You alone, Lord. That, that should be the key right there. You alone, Lord. You created the heavens and the earth. So God is a gracious giver in this way. He creates. 
and creation is an overflow of his goodness, of his glory. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And creation is really the theater of God's glory, and they recognize that. So their story begins by praising God, doxology. Friend, the reason you don't know who you are is because you don't know who God is. So we don't have an understanding of who God is and how he works and what even the reality is around us, we're going to have a really hard time understanding ourselves and our story. So they, they, right off the bat, they ground their story in worship and the fact that God is a generous giver. He's good. He creates. And creation is an overflow of his goodness. Who likes to eat? Y'all are liars. Just kidding. We all do, right? Who, well, why? Why do you like to eat? I got a lot of text to go here. So, why do you guys like to eat? It tastes good. Thank you. Not everything tastes good. Why is that? God created it that way. Did he have to? No. You just needed to eat it to live, right? God made food so ridiculously diverse and good, and we can do all these things with it, and I love food. He made it good. He made it taste really good. That's the kind of God you worship. Didn't have to be good. He made it, we just, we just assume this, don't we? He made your food wonderful. Learn, learn from your hot dog, right? <laughs> about, really that's what they're saying. Learn from creation about the goodness of your God. He's a gracious giver. If that doesn't work itself into your story, you will be lost, friend, okay? So it tastes good because he has created. Let me give you some grace by the numbers in this text. We haven't got all to him yet, but how many times does it say you, God? 40 times. So the story of Israel really isn't the story of Israel, is it? It's the story of God and his love for Israel. 40 times, you, 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 you. And every time we see give, 17 out of 19 times, it's tied to God himself giving them good and wonderful things. This is how their story starts. God is the gracious giver. And I want to show you one thing in this text. We can't look at it all. One thing. What does God do right off the bat? And I think it's in verse 7. This is key because it starts out in verse six, you are the Lord alone. And then he says it again, verse seven, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name of Abraham. So God calls Abram. This is really important for Israel because they know that God's promise to Abram is why they're in Jerusalem. They know that. They know God's promise to Abraham, which is called a covenant, is, is God's operating in that. He hasn't broken it. What is a covenant? Well, we, it's a binding promise. God's binding promise for the purpose of a living relationship. God's doing it. But he calls Abram out of Ur, which is basically where the Tower of Babel was. Abram has no relationship with God, no connection that we can see of in Genesis. And he just calls him. Come on out. Leave your family, which is huge back then in agrarian society. No, come with me. And in the Old Testament, names denote destiny. So you know what Abram means? Exalted father. So apparently his parents thought, I forget the name of his parents, but they're in there. Must have thought he was going to be a good dude, a big dude, exalted father. God renames him Abraham 
which means a father of what? A multitude. No, Abram, you're not going to be great. I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to make your name the father of many because God's covenant is expansive, and it draws people in, and it changes stories. So see this. God's call on Abraham changed his story forever. And the way that Abraham got to enjoy that is he said, okay, I'll go. Where are we going? I'll let you know later. It's going to be good, though. So God's a gracious giver. And Abraham had to see first and foremost, and even celebrate the hand of God at work in his life. If he didn't, he wouldn't have left and he wouldn't have kept going because Abraham didn't do a lot of things right. But as Genesis 15, 6 tells us, he believed God could come through and God credited it to him as righteousness. Wow. So faith is the key. Yes, it is. All right, so God graciously gives. This is his nature. This is the part. This is the first part of Israel's story and your story too if you are alive in Christ. So let's keep jumping through this because there's a lot here. We're going to start right where we left off in verse 16. I'm going to read two words. But they. Where are we going with that? So this is Israel's response to all that God has done with his establishing his covenant with Abraham and then delivering them out of the house of bondage in Egypt, out of Pharaoh's hand, and all these good things we just like heard about. And then Israel, it, like it, we wanted to, but, but they, they loved God and lived a wonderful life. But how boring would that be, right? People love drama. So, but they, this is their response to God's goodness. And our fathers acted presumptuously. We'll get there. Let me read it all. And stiffened their neck, and they did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive. This is basically quoting Moses, right of Exodus 34. When Moses wanted to see God's glory... God comes down and says, oh, I'll show you, but let me teach you what my name means. This is what he said. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Did not forsake them. Even when they had made themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of the Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies. So God's response to their great blasphemies, and I'll tell you what that means in a minute, is great mercy. Mm. Do you know him? You want to. You should want to. Did not forsake them in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud to lead them in the day, did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they should go. God leads you. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell and you gave them kingdoms. In other words, God made good in his promise to Abraham to make a nation and peoples, and allotted them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sahon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children. Again, God was faithful to his covenant as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. Well, it was hard though, right? 
they had to walk in faith, and gave them into their hands and their kings and their peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. He gave Israel freedom. And they captured fortified cities and you know, rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things. Cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Remember that. Moving on, verse 28. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies. They remember, they just came into Babylon, who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors. God's not operating according to their actions, but according to his great mercy who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them, right? Here comes judgment, but it's discipline. And you abandoned them to the hand of the enemies so that they had dominion over them. In other words, that's, that's what you want. Go get it. See how you like that. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your great mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore... You gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands, and nevertheless, in your great, what? You could have written it. You've, you've heard the pattern. You did not make an end of them. Their story still runs. Or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. So God graciously gives. He's a gracious giver. Yet his people stubbornly, reject his goodness. Have you ever read that story? It's all over the Bible. And you're like, I don't know. That sounds kind of dumb. I just don't think I would have done that. I would have been the one faithful person in Israel. Anybody ever think that? I never would have, you know, disobeyed God in the garden. I don't know. Friends, here's, we have to make sense of this. Why did this happen over and over and over and over and over and over? Here's why. Your heart seeks happiness always, period. Oh, is that because of sin? Nope. It's because you were created by God. Your heart has no choice but to seek out happiness. Just like bubbles float to the surface, you will always spend your life reaching for happiness over and over and over. So here's where sin comes in. So what sin does is it changes the posture of your heart and says, I will get happiness on my own terms. Now, let me show you where the text shows that. Right in verse 25. So they ate and they were filled and became fat and delighted themselves. God gave them every single thing he had promised and then some, and they were in the chips and they had everything that they needed. And it says that they delighted in, not God, but in his great goodness. We can stretch that as we understand the Bible to mean they delighted in his creation, in his things, in his goodness, instead of in the creator. 
That is the essence of idolatry, taking a good thing and making it a God thing. If you think your heart doesn't operate that way, then you don't know yourself. And anytime you do that, it's never like, well, I do love God too, but I just need to be rich, or I've got to be married, or I've got to blah, blah, blah. Whatever you've got to do is who you're worshiping. It's never God and you, you can worship one. And so it's to the rejection of God. And the way it plays out is you no longer obey him. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. That's not going to make me happy. So sin seeks happiness in creation versus the creator. That's idolatry. So their story is this. Here's Israel's story. Sin, slavery, then salvation. Sin, back to slavery, then salvation. Then sin, slavery. That's their story. It's a cycle. And God keeps disrupting it keeps breaking in. So three words I want you to see here that are really instructive to how your heart works. One is presumption. This story barely makes sense to me. I gotta be honest with you because I think I'm better than that. But I'm actually worse than that. Um, presumption. That's the posture of your heart. What is presumption? Let me tell you a story. Um, when I was a kid, about six years old, my dad, who was a hardworking dude, you know, and he, he's at the weekend and I'm like six years old. And I'm like, dad, build me a tree house. So he builds me like this castle tree house and this almond tree. It's way up there, just, just like you see in TV. And it's like hot. And it's, it's like maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like six, I want to go in and watch cartoons or something. My dad's like, hey, Jace, let's clean this up. And I literally walked up to him and looked him in the face and I said, you made the mess, you clean it up. My mom lit me up. I'm lucky I'm here. That's God's grace. She lit me up. You know what my dad did? He said his, his jaw torqued a little bit. And he's like, okay. Right? I don't know where he got his patience because I don't have it. I, I actually later, I wish my dad was still around because I feel so bad. Like, and I was shocked. I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, whoa, what? I don't think that way. about uh, Where did that come from? I expected my dad to be my servant. Hey, God, you brought me into this world. Serve me, make me happy. Let me reign. Build my kingdom. That is not only preposterous, that's presumption. Friends, you're not God. When you try to build your own story, it falls in on itself and you find despair and loneliness and heartache and anger and frustration and lostness. So presumption, heart posture, God owes you. He's your servant. Second, blasphemy. So if you live in that long enough, you eventually learn to hate God. So blasphemy is just contempt for God. I'm tired of you. I'm tired of this wilderness. I'm tired of drinking water out of a rock. I'm tired of listening to Moses. I'm tired of eating manna. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's find somebody to lead us back there. I don't want God anymore. Until he comes around to what is better for me. That's a blasphemy. And the last thing is a stiff neck. Stiff neck people. They don't like to bow the head, do they, to worship God. It's an idiom for disobedience and unfaithfulness. And it's kind of agricultural again. It's like you, you put two yokes together. I mean, you put two oxen together and yoke them with a piece of wood. If one of those necks is stiff and he doesn't want to do it, guess what? There's no plowing. You ever walk a dog that didn't want to be walked? Or you wanted to walk a dog that walked you? That's a stiff neck. You should walk this dog called Megan, best dog in the world. If you're watching Megan, I love you. She was great until she didn't want to do something. And she was big. And she would get tired of the same route, so she'd stop. And be like, come on. Stiff neck. 
walking your own way. So we stubbornly reject God. That's our heart, right? It's, it's built, sin builds that into us and breaks our heart for worship into a heart for self-worship. And God's response to that for you is great mercy. Movement three, how does this resolve? Verse 32. Now, here's what that means. The worship service is in the application phase. So Israel is praying and saying, now what do we do with our story? How do we bring our history and the story of God into the present? Now, therefore, our God, notice that, now it's personal. That's called faith. Not the God or Yahweh, now our God. That's covenant language. That's marriage language. That's we belong to God and he belongs to us. That's not presumption, that's joy and delight and that's covenant language. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenant, his promise is good, and steadfast love, it's based on love for you personally. Let not all the hardships seem little to you, God, that has come upon us, upon our kings and our princes and our priests and our prophets and our fathers for all the people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom, amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, here's the outcome. We are slaves this day in the land that you gave your fathers, the land that you promised to Abraham and you graciously give, we sit here in a broken down Jerusalem as slaves. Hmm. To enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we're slaves. And its rich yield goes to kings whom you have set over us because of our sin. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. Resolution, What? Because of this, we make a firm covenant in writing, sealed document of the names of our princes, our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. That word covenant is different than most words in the Bible for covenant. It means faith. We promise to build our story in your story. There's nothing better. So this resolves God faithfully redeems. His promise stands. Now, therefore, our God, they trust him. And notice they call him to be compassionate. Like, we know we earn this, but oh, it's so hard. God has compassion. You either see God as your judge or as your buddy, but you, you do know he's both, right? Like he has compassion in the midst of your misery. That's what mercy is. So stay in God's faithfulness. Friends, this story, you know, this story points to a better story. This is not a good gospel. Are you going to be better than they were? Is your heart going to be right? This is not a good gospel. It points to a glorious gospel, right? The, 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 the Jesus. So his story ends really badly. He's faithful. He surrenders his story to God, and God makes an end of him. And he wasn't just in sackcloth and ashes, which actually is an imagery for burial. He ended his story on the cross 
right? He surrendered it to God, not your will, not my will be done, your will be done, Lord. We gotta do this. And he got dirt on his face because he was actually buried and he overcame the grave showing that we're not gonna build this anymore. I'm the true temple. I always was. This is who you were waiting for. He ascends to the right hand of the Father and he reigns in power now. We're getting ready to celebrate that. That is your story. Friend, that is the story God wants to wrap you up in. That is the story that doesn't end. That is the story he has for you today. So let's land this. What do you do with that? Because we have to respond too. There's one response. Surrender your story. It's not yours. God wants it. Remember that guy I told you about? The army helicopter pilot, dude of all dudes. I I tried to share the gospel with him and he's like, it's like, dude, we're pilots. We got girls, we got got everything we need. I don't need your story. I don't need God. Like it'd be nice to know that God likes me, but I don't need him. Literally said that. God, oh man, God got a hold of that guy and his wife took them to the mat and they are like the most powerful Christians and evangelists I've ever seen in my life, ever. So God got a hold of his story. You never know what God's gonna, how God's gonna use your life. And they ministered to us. He gave up the story he thought he was gonna live. And he, you know what he told me last week? He said, nobody can make sense of my story but God. Like, it doesn't make sense. I didn't like him, I didn't want him. God brought me from death to life without my permission, just like Abraham. He chose me and I love him to death, right? So you need to surrender your story. A couple of ways you can do that. One, you have got to put eyes on to see the hand of God working in your life and celebrate it. That wasn't all somber. Celebrate the work of God in your life. See it and celebrate it. Secondly, you need to stop rejecting God's will. You're like, well, I'm a pretty good person. That's really not what I'm talking about. There are places in your life where you're stiff-necked and you're like, that doesn't make me happy. I'm not gonna do it. God wants to heal you there. You're still trying to write your own story. And lastly, and this is the big idea of the whole text, you gotta stay. Philippians 1.6, Paul's like, you know what? I'm convinced that the story, right? What God started in your life, he's gonna bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Stay put. Jesus said it the other way, abide in my love. Don't run. Don't try to build a story outside of him. There is no story that ends well outside of being united with faith through the resurrected king. Nehemiah somehow saw that and was faithful. He may not have known the details, but like Abram, he knew God would provide. Do you know that? And give it up. Surrender your story. See the hand of God at work. Don't hide your sin from him. He stands ready to forgive you. He stands ready to give you everything, the kingdom. He stands ready to give you Christ. So stay put. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. What a story you have, you have put out there for us. It's beyond comprehension that the one who holds molecules of dirt together actually was buried in that dirt and overcame it through righteousness to the love of his people to reconcile a world that has rejected him to himself honestly by force through the grace of God. We love you. We praise you. 
Uh, let that story be ours. In the name of Jesus, amen.